So uh, this morning, <clears throat> I'll open in prayer in just a moment. We're going to continue on. Um, uh, last week, I, the title of the message was very uncreative. It was Forgiveness One. And this one is even less creative as it is now Forgiveness Two. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how far this goes. Um, we'll go until I, I, I realize I don't know what the next number is, and then we'll, then we'll have to start a new series. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, in fact, yeah, let's just open in prayer, and then we'll, we'll touch this. So, um, Lord Jesus, God, we thank you that um, you have spoken to us from the beginning of your word all the way through about forgiveness. God, you, um, in Jesus, demonstrated perfect forgiveness. And we thank you. God, as we look at the record you've left us in your word, help us to hear and see and understand that which you would speak to us. And God, if there's anything that's, that's not of you, may all of those things, whether they're in our minds or something from me, whatever it is, may it just fall aside and be forgotten because what we want is what you would say. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to awaken our hearts, our spirits, our minds, every part of us to encounter you today. In Jesus' name, amen. And so um, <clears throat> last week we, t- we kind of walked through kind of as a compare and a contrast uh, of Judas and Peter, right? The, the two um, famous betrayers of Jesus. And we saw how Judas, even after realizing that he was an unqualified judge, he continued to sit in the seat of judgment. And he judged himself, right? And he judged himself to death. He determined that he himself was worthy of death. And then he condemned himself to death. And he put himself to death. Do you remember this? We also looked at Peter, and he chose to be humble and teachable. His relationship with Jesus was restored, and God used him a great deal. Um, Now, you might remember also that that Peter Peter suddenly wasn't perfect, right? Peter wasn't perfect, but Peter was teachable, and Peter was humble. Um, we closed the, the last message. We were looking at the, the encounter between Peter um, and Jesus on the shores of Galilee when they came and they sat. And, and it's one of those touching things. And we, we tend to remember and often return to that place where, where this whole exchange where Jesus looks at Peter and he says, do you love me? And, and, he, and he says, do you agape me? And then, and then Peter responds and he says, yes, Jesus, I phileo you, right? And agape is this, one-way, perfect, never-failing, unending love. And phileo is, you're my best friend. You're my brother. And, and of course, we've, there's been lots and lots of sermons on this one, but the one that struck me is the one that, um, the, as I was encountering that and looking at the original language, what strikes me is that Peter was being honest with Jesus. He wasn't trying to cheat. He wasn't trying to be sneaky. Peter had had an encounter with him, with his own brokenness. And, and so at that point when Jesus was at the, the initial trial at Caiaphas' house and um, 
And Peter was outside, right? And you remember this. And Jesus had told him, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times before the rooster crows, as in before tomorrow morning, early tomorrow morning, because that's when roosters crow. And, and he did, and then after he did, and the rooster crowed, right? And then Jesus looks at him, and in that moment, it all just sinks in. And I think that was the moment of Peter's, um, the breaking of Peter's pride. That's hard stuff, Right? And so then here, then we have the, the death and the resurrection, and then and Jesus tells them, gives them a, a message to go meet him there in Galilee, and they go up there, and then they have this encounter after a whole night of not catching fish. This is the reason why you have to have somebody who's good at catching fish near you when you're, you're going to go fishing. I've discovered that. And, uh, and so a whole night of not catching fish, and then, you know, you know the story. But then the thing is, is there's this whole exchange of, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? And he says, yes, you're my best friend. And, and they go back and forth, feed my sheep. And then at the end, um, it's Jesus that moves. He says, do you phileo me? Peter says, yes, I phileo you. And, and Peter is basically, he's not cheating Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, I am giving you every single thing that I know that I can give. I'm going to do everything I can but I've watched myself fall short. Right? He's being honest about his own brokenness. And, and so that for that's, that's always sinks into me. And then, but the, then the thing that we tend to not touch, and we did touch last week, is, is that last little passage at the end, then Jesus begins to prophesy again about what's going to happen. And, and he talks about how, he tells Peter, you know, says when you were young, you used to dress yourself and just kind of do stuff, right? And he says, but when you're old... Um, this is not a prophecy for you, Arlene, by the way. This very, very clear. This is Jesus talking to Peter. He did, he's not talking to you. But, but he says, when you're old, somebody else is going to dress you, and they're going to take you places you don't want to go. And then the writer of the gospel says, this was to help, uh, this is a prophecy of how Peter was going to lay his life down. Right? And then after that, Peter did. He lived, his life was a living sacrifice. And as a living sacrifice, Peter was a lot more useful for the kingdom of God after this than he was before, right? And so that's just a, a heavy, significant thing. So the piece of, of scripture that we stepped off from, and I'm going to read again, but then we're going to go in a, a very different direction this morning, is uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses thir- uh, 12, 13, and 14. I'm going to read this because we're just going to kind of come back and stand on this, but then we're going to go from here and probably step out to other passages as we explore this. And, and, and this, this whole idea is, is big enough, deep enough, um, and like the things of God, it's, it's infinitely simple and immeasurably complex all at the same time. It's part of the, the paradox of walking out a relationship with God. Colossians three twelve through 14, it says, Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so, um, because I believe the Bible is is the word of God, um, and as I was looking at this and looking at a journey of forgiveness, I just found myself saying, okay, so where, where does the word forgive first occur in my Bible? And I figured it's going to be pretty early. It's not. 
It's actually in the very, very last chapter of Genesis, at least in my translation um, that I was looking at. And um, the, the Bible is doing the searching was in ESV. It says, so uh, where, where does this first word of forgive occur in our Bible? And, and so also just for clarity, I'm not going to dive into this right now, but it's, it's just noteworthy to me because I'm a little bit of a nerd this way is that it appears that uh, the word that was translated in, in, it'll be in Genesis 50, translated as, uh, as forgive is the word nasah, and it, it's translated in Genesis 50 as forgive, but it occurs multiple times through Genesis. So this is not the first time that Hebrew word is used in Scripture, but from what I can tell, it's the first time it's translated as forgive. And so that might seem confusing, but one of the things that happens, um, it seems to be, especially in the Hebrew language, is, is that there's, there's kind of a, a broad meaning to a word, and the context is what tells us what it's about. And so this is a word that is used, if you bother, bother to look it up, it's, it, it can, it's used to communicate a lot of different things. But in this context, it is very clearly talking about forgiveness, so I believe it is a very right translation. And so I'll just, with that set aside, I didn't find the English word forgive until I got into the last chapter of Genesis. In Genesis 50, it captures a pivotal point in a long, difficult story. It's the story of Joseph. And this is the last chapter of Genesis that is followed by a centuries-long pause during which the Hebrew people multiply, but then they also fall into slavery in Egypt. Right? There's this, this big pause between now, uh, the end of Genesis, and the beginning of the book of Exodus. And if you look at Exodus 1, it kind of provides a summary of what happens. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, let's take a look at the last recorded conversation between Joseph and his brothers about their betrayal of Joseph. And at this point of the story, Joseph has moved his entire family to Egypt in order to provide for them during the, the famine in Canaan. And so their father, Jacob, is old, and he dies. And, uh, but as per Jacob's dying wish, he asks, he says, I want my body taken back to be buried in the traditional family burial ground back in Canaan. Don't leave me here in this place. Take my body back. And they say, okay. Um, because his son was Joseph, um, it's speculation, but I think there's probably a high probability that he was mummified, because that's what you did, right? And so, don't know that, um, but it would be interesting. Someday we'll find out. And so they, they're going to take his body back to Canaan. Now, I want you to read with me. I'm going to begin in Genesis 50. I'm going to read verses 14 through 18, pause, and then we'll continue. And so, uh, after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, and now his brothers are speaking again, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and, be, and said, Behold, we are your servants. 
And so here's a couple of, uh, there's some real life truths about forgiveness that I think we can see in this kind of a, a gritty story. Oh man, just wiggling all over. Um, this rather gritty, gritty story. So the brother's character doesn't appear to be very different here than when they originally betrayed Joseph. Probably a little bit different, but I don't know. Number one, they consulted together about their situation and plotted a solution. Isn't that kind of what they did the first time? Right? And so then they appear to assume that Joseph's character is no different than their own. They're just assuming that he's probably going to have it in for him as soon as dad's out of the way. You guys are toast. <laughs> right? And, that, and of course, they kind of lived in their culture. There is another interesting thing. Uh, at that point in time in history, I believe um, archaeologists, um, arche- ar- archaeologists believe that Egypt was the first country in history to have a jail. So for us, it doesn't seem so bizarre for Joseph to be tossed in jail for a couple of years. At the time, they would throw them to the lions or just toss their head off, right? They didn't, they didn't really, countries really didn't do jail. Jail was expensive, right? Why throw someone in a pit and you still have to feed them, you know? And so I just thought that was interesting. But they, they appeared to assume that Joseph's character is no different from their own. And so then they send a message to Joseph. Why? Probably because, because of what they've chosen to believe. They're acting on the assumption that Joseph has it in for them. Right? And then they build their request. They're making a case, and they build their request for forgiveness on a lie. Right? There's no evidence that, Joseph, uh, that, that Jacob actually said that. Hey, boys. I want to make sure that you send a message to Joseph that he should forgive you. I don't think that happened. Just look at it. You can read it yourself. And so it appears that they built their request for forgiveness on a lie about their father. This isn't looking very good. They appeal to the highest authority they can think of, their father's God. But I thought it was interesting that they didn't identify their father's God as their own God. They insist that they're faithful servants of Joseph while in the midst of lying to Joseph about what their father has said. Do faithful servants lie to their master? No. So I, I look at that stuff and I'm like, man, this, it's still dirty. It's still messy. It's still, it's not all tidy, Right? We, we kind of look and want tidy, but tidy doesn't always happen. And so here's the second piece. Joseph is in a different place than what they believe. Now, we don't know if Joseph believed the lie about what his father said or not. We don't know that. We don't know if Joseph is actually influenced by their appeal to the God of their father or not. We don't know that either. We don't know if Joseph believes their appeal is even sincere or not. We don't know that. We just have to to guess or try and draw from Scripture a little bit. And so so let's take a look at the next couple of verses, and let's see, in spite of what we don't know, let's see how Joseph responds, because it gives us some clues. Verses 19 through 21, they read, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Sounds almost like he's like honoring that argument of his father's God, but I'm not sure. 
Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And literally, he could look around at all the people that were not starved to death, that they were surrounded by, including themselves. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. So Joseph, he demonstrates freedom and then he offers freedom. I doubt, personally, Joseph could have been gulled by his brother's deceptions. Joseph has been living for decades as a high-ranking and a shrewd man of wealth and authority in Egypt. He was not born into that place of influence in Egypt. You guys know, he came as a slave, went downhill from there, and from that place was raised up to great authority, great honor, and great wealth. Though God gifted Joseph supernaturally with dreams and interpretations, God added to those gifts wisdom and human affairs. Joseph was not a gullible person. And nor were his brothers subject, was he subject to his brother's authority in any way, right? He'd been pretty effectively freed from that. And so Joseph responded from what he knew to be true. So Joseph is responding from his own experience of truth. Joseph's life had taught him that God doesn't waste our pain, nor is God thwarted by injustice and evil. Joseph knew his father's God was the true God, and this God was bigger than any of his circumstances. He knew this because he lived it out. Also, just like we saw in the story of Peter last week, Joseph had been freed from his youthful arrogance that had so annoyed his brothers when he was young. Right? Let's be honest. Little brother shows up. Hey, big brothers, I had a dream. Right? Y'all are going to bow to me. Y'all are going to like, like, I'm going to be the rock star and you're not. Exactly. You guys can clean my sandals. Like that... (laughs) Not only, I mean, I don't know. That sounds to me like youthful arrogance, right? It would be annoying. We can be honest about this. And the truth is, is though God chose to use Joseph, Joseph wasn't complete. He wasn't perfect. He, we can see this because he was not being very perfect in there. But during Joseph's long, bitter journey, God had shown him how to be humble and how to be teachable. It cost Joseph a lot to learn to be humble and teachable. It was expensive. It cost him decades. And because of that, Joseph entrusted his journey, including the injustice and sin he experienced at the hands of his brothers, he entrusted that to God. And Joseph, because he had entrusted that to God, he wasn't carrying that weight anymore. Because Joseph was free, he could offer freedom and forgiveness to his brothers too. Right? Because he was free, he didn't have to hold that against them. But it was because he was free that he could take that step. And then, just as as, a side note, you you can only give away something that you actually have. It makes it really hard to offer freedom to somebody if you're not free. 
How many guys in, in jail? Like, I set you free, person in the cell next to me. That doesn't carry much weight, does it? Somebody's got to have keys before they can start having words like that. So based on our conventional understanding of justice, you could correct me if, if I'm wrong, but these brothers don't deserve forgiveness. Their behavior doesn't seem to reflect a true change of heart. And yet Joseph forgives them anyway. And he's forgiving them because of Joseph's peace, life, and his personal freedom does not depend on them in any way. You know? So how does this apply to us today? Forgiveness is not just something that we should choose because God tells us to, though God does tell us to. But as we grow in wisdom and knowledge of the Lord, we might also begin to see how forgiveness is a gift to ourselves as much as it's a gift to anybody else. People who have experienced this principle, they've shared what they've learned. Here's a couple of uh, quotes. Pastor T.D. Jakes, he talks about this. He says, I think the first step to understand that forgiveness does not the first step is to understand that forgiveness does not exonerate the perpetrator. Forgiveness liberates the victim. It's a gift you give yourself. Right? And this is the thing. Vengeance is the Lord's. God is the righteous judge. This is the mistake that Judas made. Maybe Judas didn't understand that if, that if Judas stepped off the judgment seat, there was still a judge. It just wasn't him. There's still a judge. It's just not us. The actor Tyler Perry, he says, it's not an easy journey to get to a place where you forgive people, but it is such a powerful place because it frees you. And then there's a, an Italian psychiatrist. Um, I think his name is pronounced Roberto Assagioli. He says, without forgiveness, life is governed by an endless cycle of resentment and retaliation. Right? There's an opportunity to set something and say, done. Joseph was freed because he walked the path of forgiveness. And even though Joseph offered forgiveness to his brothers, I'm not sure that they experienced the freedom that Joseph had experienced, to be honest. And even though I believe that same freedom was available to them, it's conspicuous to me that they appealed for Joseph to honor the God of their father, but there didn't seem to be much evidence that they honored the same God themselves. Even back then, before the gift of Jesus and the record of his life in the Gospels, we're seeing that our relationship with God shapes how we engage forgiveness in our lives, right? The, there's evidence of the gospel all the way from the back, from the beginning to the end. The story of God is all the way through, including here. Centuries later, Jesus called a famously short tax collector to climb down from his tree so they could have dinner together. You guys remember this story? The man came joyfully and humbly now, there were religious people watching on, and they grumbled because the tax collector was a bad man and definitely did not deserve kindness. But then, so everyone could hear him, Jesus said, and you can look this up, it's Luke 19, 
and his words are in 9 and 10, but the story is in Luke 19. Today, Jesus says, speaks so everybody there can hear. Today, salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's noteworthy that this Zacchaeus, who was a lost tax collector, but he wanted to be found. He didn't want to be lost. He didn't want to be lost. How many times you look at the people that Jesus encountered, there were the people, they, they were lost, but they didn't want to be lost. And they didn't know how to be in any other place. And that's the distinction that's made over and over again, is where there were others that, that they were lost, but they said, I'm not lost. You're lost. And the people that engaged with Jesus and were transformed are the ones that says, I'm lost and I'm broken and I need help, Jesus you've got what I need. Saint uh, Augustine was a man who wandered far from God. Um, if you haven't, sometime you should explore his story. He wandered far from God before finally surrendering his life to Jesus and being transformed by the forgiveness found only in Christ. He describes forgiveness like this. He says, forgiveness is the remission of sins, for it is by this that what has been lost and was found is saved from being lost again. Due to sin, Joseph's family was divided, and in forgiveness, they were reunited. But it could have been easily, it could have been lost again had forgiveness been dependent on his brother's choices. Part of the miracle of Joseph's wisdom is that he chose a good path even though he didn't yet have the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as a model for forgiveness, right? We're reading this from the perspective of having the whole gospel and the story of Jesus, all of this. He didn't have that perspective. Their knowledge of God was a lot more limited. Not only that, but he spent decades in Egypt, and he was, I, I believe he was married to the daughter of a, a chief, one of the high priests in Egypt. So Joseph's influences were not <laughs> the influences of the God of the Bible, and yet... He had known the God of the Bible and remained faithful. Unlike Joseph, we do have the model of Jesus. And so here's some things, um, here's what I, some things that at least I've seen today and maybe we've seen today. Joseph was able to forgive because he'd entrusted his life to God. That's why. This freed his heart. Joseph forgave his brothers in order to seal his freedom from the sins his brothers committed. It wasn't vengeance. It wasn't retribution. It was peace, and it was freedom. It was a release. And not only was Joseph released, but they were released. And so when they continued, and it's, it, just the evidence in Scripture would suggest, we don't know, it would suggest that they'd probably continued with some bondage, but they weren't bound by Joseph. They were bound would have been bound by themselves at that point. Joseph's forgiveness wasn't dependent on his brother's qualification or deserving. They were not in charge of Joseph's heart. And so it would have been wrong for Joseph to, to point and say, you made me, or whatever. It's not true. It just isn't true. And, and yet he, he looked at that, and, and I believe that Scripture and history would suggest that Joseph was not unwise. He was not clueless when he engaged with his brothers. 
Joseph forgave his brothers so they could be free of the sins they had committed. It was an act of love by Joseph for his brothers and their families, just like Christ, right? When Jesus loves us and he offers us forgiveness, it's an act of love from him to us. I don't know about you. Is anybody else in this room, has anybody earned forgiveness from Jesus? Right? If you've earned it, that's not forgiveness. That's payment. It's a different deal entirely. None of this required Joseph to deny what happened. Right? Joseph was not in denial. He didn't have to be in denial. That wasn't the ticket to pretend that he didn't know None of this required Joseph to deny what happened, but it was made easier as Joseph learned to see that God was bigger than every circumstance and every wrong, right? That's part of his testimony. That's what he says. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. Look at all the people, including yourselves, who are alive right now because God was faithful to Joseph and Joseph chose to trust God. Almost everyone would acknowledge that Joseph would have been pretty annoying to have had as a younger brother. And it would have been understandable for Joseph's brothers to feel slighted by their father, his love for Joseph and the many-colored coat that later became a rock opera. And it'd be understandable that they'd be resentful of Joseph, but that didn't justify any of their actions, right? At what point did annoying turn into it's perfectly fine to... Uh, plan his murder, throw him into a well, and then sell him to slavery. That, it wasn't okay. Even though Joseph was annoying, God didn't make Joseph's brothers betray him. I don't believe that God orchestrated that. But God is faithful in the middle of our circumstances. God doesn't waste anything that you'll surrender to him, even the wrongs that you've suffered and the wrongs that you've done. Today, like Joseph and his brothers, we have the choice because of Jesus to both receive and to share forgiveness. And though sometimes there can be a process to walking the path, forgiveness ultimately at the end, it's a choice. In fact, um, I've gone through some, uh, some of you are familiar with the work, The Seven Steps of Freedom, Neil T. Anderson. And one of the things, some of the language that he uses as he, say, he says, if someone's going to walk through forgiveness, don't say, I want to, I intend to, or, you know, don't dance around. It's like, I choose, I do. But sometimes there can be a process to walk it out. But ultimately, it's a choice. And so consider making that choice today and then ask the Lord to guide the path. And that means to pray through it right? It's okay when things are hard, right? We, this, is, this is not fake. Joseph didn't have to pretend that, that gee whiz, well, you know, got thrown into a well, cast, you know, nothing, not a big deal. It wasn't that. He says, I release that, and I recognize that God is bigger, and I serve a God who's good. And so, Walking the path, in our case, means pray about it. Walk with Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Ask God to help your heart. Pray for the people on either side of this need for forgiveness that you're aware of. And remember that forgiveness, it's a choice. 
make the choice, and then ask God to carry you through it. Do you need to be forgiven today? Do you need to forgive today? Writer and civil rights activist Maya Angelou said, you can't forgive without loving. And I don't mean sentimentality. I don't mean mush. I mean having enough courage to stand up and say, I forgive. I'm finished with it. And that's one of those things. There's no separation from forgiveness and love. Just like we saw that because of Joseph's encounter with the living God, that his heart was transformed and that empowered him, enabled him to actually love his brothers. It wasn't tit for tat. It wasn't commerce. Bishop Desmond Tutu has said, forgiveness says you are given another chance to make a new beginning. Theologian Louis B. Smeads, he wrote about forgiveness also. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and then discover that the prisoner was you. And so make the decision to give and to receive freedom. Remember that Jesus gives us forgiveness and he also gives us freedom. They're not separate from each other. And it's central to what Jesus taught his disciples In fact, when he taught them to pray, he put forgiveness right in the middle of that prayer. You'll remember it, right? Right in the middle of Matthew 6, 12. And Jesus says, in the middle of that famous prayer, he says, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Those are pretty sobering words. But I remind you, everything, it always begins and it always ends in Christ. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In the beginning was the word, right? And in the end, everything, including death, will come to an end and all things will be put under his authority. Amen? But it's a place of freedom and power to come under that authority today and to align with his work and his character. So I still believe there's more for us to explore around forgiveness. But today... I want you to see that in this case, Joseph forgave. His brothers didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. Had everything to do with the walk that Joseph had with the God. That was it. And the freedom that Joseph had. That's why he could do it. It took God. And so, will you bow with me? I think in the folder, I think I might even put this prayer. You, you want to pray out loud with me if you want. God, we thank you for Joseph's example of forgiveness from so long ago. Thank you, God, that in Joseph's story, we see that our freedom is dependent on you. As we entrust our hearts, our wounds, our sins, and the sins of others to Christ, we can experience the precious freedom that he paid for, for all of us. Guide our prayers and our steps this week as we learn to walk in this gift that's available in you.